Welcome everyone to Keep Hope Alive, starring yours truly, Tony Derillis. This podcast is about a genuine, authentic experience about a young man navigating the foster care system and making it to the other side, defying statistics. This podcast covers former and current foster youth, not just in New York City, but across the country. Tony shares all of what's happening in foster care to uplift and empower foster youth, foster parents, agency staff, and social workers. Keep hope alive. Until next time. Hey, what's going on, everybody? My name is Tony Dorillis. This is the Keep Hope Alive. Starring Tony Dorillis, yours truly, back here with another podcast episode. Glad to have y'all tuning in today. Uh, got a very, very, very special guest. Um, definitely been trailblazing her own path. Uh, Angela is an American author, spoken word artist, activist, and a purpose coach. Uh, in 2016, she began publicly advocating locally and nationally for young people in foster care, it, um, foster care's rights, in, interdependence, and overall revolution of the foster care system. In the spring of 2017, she worked alongside alongside Senator T- uh, Tamara Beringer, I think I'm saying her name right, <laughs> to pass House Bill 6, uh, 630, Rylands Law Family Child Protection and Accountability Act. By the summer of 2017, she was selected out of 300 plus applicants from all over the country to co-lead a group of over 100 young people and stormed the streets of Washington, D.C. Together, meeting congressional members from their home district and, and coining the hashtag Foster Youth Voices. In 2018, she met with federal and state and state stakeholders to continue speaking at events in collaboration with organizations such as KC family programs and individuals such as Jerry Milner while on the National Policy Council. In 2017, in 2019, she collaborated with several organizations to support young people of color and those in foster care and their transition through photography, music, and poetry. In the beginning of 2020, she supported young people during the day at the Capitol in Sacramento, California, speaking to over six different congressional members about how holistic stability is imperative for young people in foster care. And now she has created the Black Foster Youth Handbook to help young people successfully age out of foster care and beat these as well as other statistics placed on them. This handbook is also to support the work being done by their supportive adults, foster care, resource parents, uh, therapists, and other organizations to ensure the holistic well-being and the healing of young people to grow into productive killed and successful members of society. Her mission is to empower as many people as possible to uncover their divine purpose. Um, unapologetically, unapologetically evolve holistically, heal, and reach a state of soulful liberation. Ladies and gentlemen, and Hella, thanks. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing amazing. Thank you. You rocked to the intro, so I appreciate it. <laughs> Definitely, for sure. Um, yeah, I guys, listen. I know that was a long-winded intro, but bear with me. She's an amazing person, and you guys are about to see it right here on this podcast. But um, I guess before we start, uh, mental health check-in. How you feeling? Uh, how's your spirit? Um, yeah. 
Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me on this podcast. Um, you know, we met a few years ago, and uh, I just appreciate the work that you do and the space that you're offering me today and many other young people before and after me today. So um, for the most part, I feel pretty good. Um, I think that there's a lot of a lot of things going on in the world. So, uh, you know, good can be subject to someone's own filter, but uh, for the most part, for the most part, I'm good. What yeah. about you? <laughs> uh, pretty good, all things considered. Um, yeah. Working from home has me feeling like I'm living in the twilight zone a little bit, <laughs> where I'm like literally repeating the same thing over and over again. But um, yeah. I do strongly believe in social distancing and you know, just minimizing the curve as much as possible. And uh, yeah, just spreading positivity here. And uh, yeah, I feel like the uh, pandemic kind of helped me to um, reach out to people more. Uh, I felt mm. like I was a little more reclusive in the, uh, like before the pandemic. And now it's kind of encouraged me to uh, not just make connections, but to maintain those connections. So yeah. Been I can second that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, let's get into this book, though. So um, what is the name of your book? And how, what kind of inspired you to uh, create it? Well, I love that question. Uh, the name of the book is The Black Foster Youth Handbook. <laughs> 50 plus lessons I learned to successfully age out of foster care and holistically heal. Mm -hmm. um, the main reason, uh, there's many reasons that uh, contributed to the reason I decided to go ahead and write this book, but I would say the main reason was traveling across the nation and talking with so many young people of all race and ethnic backgrounds and kind of seeing a common thread. Um, I have done a lot of work in the past really since elementary school when I learned about slavery um, and really what my connection is from my father's side who is of African descent and my mother's side who is of indigenous descent and how I navigate the world as a person that is mixed of both of those um, identities and talking to different people across the nation was interesting because I noticed a common thread of an identity issue where a lot of black young people um, just kind of own that as an umbrella term, but not really knowing like their specific tribe or a specific place. They couldn't really point to a specific place on the map of where their ancestors were, or where, um, you know, their family's from. And that really concerned me. Um, in counterance to other ethnicities where, you know, specifically Caucasian or Asian people uh, could point on the map is specifically where their ancestors were and how many generations back, five, six, seven generations back, um, exactly what that history is. And I was seeing how that was showing up today in self-esteem and uh, really our culture and, and what that really looks like in our healing and how do we, you know, how do we view healing? How do we view relaxing? How do we view ourselves? How do we view success? Um, and then, you know, recently adding the history of foster care 
So I think the pandemic uh, was a very interesting place in 2020 because I had started writing it before the pandemic and mm -hmm. it really pushed me to create a deadline that was going to be at the end of 2020 uh, because I recognized that, you know, one of the most vulnerable communities, foster youth, um, was having the most impact and, and seeing uh, an increase of suicides, an increase of incarceration, an increase of homelessness, um, especially in, you know, brown and black communities with the background of foster care. So I saw that. Um, I had tried to, in previous years, reach out to different organizations about the idea of some kind of handbook, some kind of manual, um, even a YouTube channel. I remember saying, like, we could do, like, a survival YouTube channel, and um, they were just kind of like, that's, you know, that's cute. Um, <laughs> I think I was, like, you know, 18, 19, so they were like, oh, you know, that's cute, but, you know, not, we're not doing that, and so... I guess this was the year um, I previously got married. So I was like, you know, I need to just sit down and see if this is really something that I want to move forward with now. So, yeah, that's kind of what really the main thing, as I said, there's been many reasons, but that's probably the main reason. Um, just the conversations and stories that I've heard from other young people. Wow. No, I appreciate that. I think um, I also kind of feel too that the intersectionality between being a foster youth mm. and blackness just as a broader term i feel kind of gets a little glossed over uh, yeah. uh, oftentimes i was going to say sometimes but oftentimes I feel. Yeah. Um, just because you know i also being in the foster care system i recognized most people that were in care had my same skin color right so I've always felt like um, just a lot of factors, uh, whether it was, I'm sure you noticed this too, right? Where it was like um, lack of a support system, um, educational barriers, uh, possibly not having the resources needed in order to age out successfully and what that even looks like, right? Um, one of the one of the uh, common phrases that I use here, right, is that um, there is no guide and there is no manual in the false care system. That you just mm -hmm. have to navigate it the best way you can, um, and it's it looks different for everybody, and everyone's journey is unique and tailor made specifically for them. Um, mm -hmm. But like specifically when it comes to black and brown people and navigating the false care system, I do think. On, we get disproportionately um, affected. So I appreciate you for like take, taking the initiative to create this handbook and pave the way for the future generations. So, yeah. yeah, of course. I think it's um, an act of protesting because I think that, you know, protests can come in so many different ways. And not just going on the streets and, every, and marching on the streets, but also like with your podcast, with um, song, with rapping, with doing your, using your uh, divine gifts to protest and um, speak up on the behalf of young people that, or older people or whatever cause that um, really calls you. And for those that don't have a voice and don't feel confident in themselves yet, to uh, speak up 
as well. I like that. Um, and speaking of which too, right, I kind of want to segue a little bit into um, what do you feel like was one of the more challenging aspects of creating this, this book launch? Because um, I, I know, uh, I feel like the editing process was definitely something that I <laughs> emphasized a lot. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm just curious about like everything overall. Yeah. Um, well, I have never published a book on my own before. So there's that. Um, I have, you know, collaborated with other organizations to publish like poetry books because they do poetry and stuff like that, um, or photography and things. However, um, I kind of went rogue with this one um, in, a, in doing my own self-published uh, book. So that in itself had it has its own challenges because I have, you know, essentially no idea what I'm doing and I have to research and read and, you know, watch YouTube videos, contact people. Like, how do you do this? Because I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, and just, you know, being open to learning and then applying it and holding yourself accountable because at the end of the day, like there's no one else that's going to want whatever it is that you produce more than you. And um, so I think that part was definitely difficult, but probably the biggest part was just like my own mindset about it. Like, um, you know, labeling it the black foster youth handbook. I knew that, you know, there definitely was going to, ruffle some feathers because whenever, you know, historically and now when you mention black something, uh, it offends people, which is interesting um, to me how that works out. You know, you say the black anything and as soon as soon as you utter the word black, that word black, um, it somehow turns into a negative and or mm. it's a argument or uh it's downplaying another side and um for me that was and that is never the um intention the intention is to you know we have his story you know history we have one perspective so let's shut out, shed the light on other perspectives let's turn on the light on all these other uh sides of the story and um other perspectives so the black foster youth handbook is specifically you know geared to people of African descent or under the umbrella of black. So that could, you know, be brown and black people, people of color. And so that doesn't in any way negate or minimize or belittle another person's experience. It's just saying, hey, like this one, this experience is different and let's see, you know, how we can improve, um, specifically with foster care, how can we improve this system so that the statistical value and holistic well-being of young people isn't compromised um, over time, as it already has shown and been, been proven through media and history um, to be so. No, I appreciate that. I actually just had a, a, another question on top of that, too, while you were yeah. talking a little <laughs> bit about um, the Black Handbook, right, and like yeah. how this experience is a lot different from, you know, other experiences that some other foster youth might have. Was there ever a time in which, like, you, maybe you felt like 
you went back and forth between maybe I shouldn't add black to the title at all, just because it might offend other people or people might take it the wrong way? That's a really great question. Honestly, um, (laughs) (laughs) honestly, I've always had confidence in the title. Um, I just more so how can I prepare myself the best um, into knowing that I'm going to deal with people that aren't understanding and that don't that don't know um, and maybe not even wanting to know the history or care about the background. They're just, you know, might be rooted in their own way of thinking, um, which is different than my way of thinking um, Mm -hmm. and can be, you know, very hurtful and uh, take offense. That's, that's possible. And, you know, I just really had to look at all the possibilities. And for me, it was outweighing um, helping young people of color understand their identity and have a better start in life versus um, having some backlash around it. And honestly, like, I felt like it was more of a benefit because I knew that the things that I've learned, because it's 50 plus lessons I learned, and I'm a young person of color, so I can't really speak to other uh, aspects. But, um, you know, I knew that my lessons that I've learned and the ones that I've strategically put into this book um, Mm -hmm. will support and help young people to open their eyes and see like, oh my gosh, like I can do this. Um, Not just because of me, but because of Mm -hmm. um, so many other people, including yourself, that have you know made it through you know and doing something to give back to the community and I think that's you know one of the biggest pieces that I want to share in that is like you know specifically with black people and and black young people we come from a place that is not just um, and from a people that is not just um, oh they were slaves they were people that happened to be enslaved and before that there was a very rich culture it didn't just start with slavery and so um that's something that i continuously um kind of thread out through the book and um Mm -hmm. i'm hoping that young people and the supportive adults because the supportive adults are also a big factor you know we can't do it alone it was a lie that um you know when i was younger people were saying you have to be you know strong and by yourself and all this type of stuff Mm -hmm. in order to be successful But the truth is we need each other. We need community, uh, regardless of the race, regardless of the ethnicity. We do need to come together. We do need, you know, to be a support to one another. And it needs to be reciprocal, whether you're a youth or an adult. It has to be, you know, a constant give and take, not just one-sided. So um, for the most part, I always knew that it was going to be the Black Philosophy's Handbook. Nice. I like that. Um, I think... One of my favorite, there's a, first, let me say this. There's a lot of things um, that you just said that really resonated with me, but like just off the top of my head, I really like that you mentioned um, that um, your decision on the word black did not waver, I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? Like you knew this is important. This is something that I want to stick with. and This is going to bring a lot of value to um, not just current boss youth, but like social workers, agencies, foster parents, et cetera, right? Um, And I think being able to flesh out 
why the experience looks so different from others is definitely something that everyone in general can learn, right? Um, yeah. Especially with the current climate of um, right. where, where we're in right now. So, no, I, I appreciate you for like really sticking to your guns and, you know, Thank you. talking about an experience that's authentic to you. Um, yeah, I guess the other question I had too was, I'm reading off my notes here. <laughs> um, I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the monthly uh, timelines, right? Because I know you had like July, August, um, and some of them had like pre-ordering books going live, virtual challenges, finalizing the edits. <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. heard this a lot. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious, how did you determine the priorities for all of them? Like, was there any that uh, were like, okay, I gotta do this first? Um, especially as a, you know, just reiterating this again, you're a first time uh, author. So I, I'm just curious, like how that process looked and was it really challenging? Yeah. You know, um, so I'm actually, I love that you asked that question too, because I'm actually thinking about doing for September um, and I've been trying to reach out to other brown and black authors um, to have the experience of foster care of doing some uh, like Facebook lives um, for like people that are aspiring authors. So definitely stay tuned for that um, okay. because I definitely want more young people to become authors and go through the process. But for me, um, what it was, was so much research. Let me tell you, I pound myself in research. Like it could be 2 a.m. and I'm up like watching a video. Uh, YouTube has been, you know, a great friend um, because there's just so much free content, which is kind of a curse in itself because there's so much free content and you're like, which one is which or whatever. So honestly, it, it's probably like probably over 300 videos that I've watched thus far, just free content. Um, and then just kind of like going through the process and writing everything out, like, okay, from A to Z, what does the process look like? Mm -hmm. And then, um, after I do that, I kind of take some time to like circle things that, um, and this goes into like more so my time management too, but mm -hmm. I go through the different tasks and I circle like the major things that I have to do. And then I put them and I break them up into steps. And then after I break them into steps, I put them on my calendar. So, um, like I'll ask myself, what is the first step that I need to do right now today towards this particular big overarching thing, right? So like with final editing, which is the one that you mentioned. Um, and uh, so with that, it would kind of be like, okay, so what's the before that and what's the after that? So before that is like the developmental editing more so. So that's kind of, um, you could do it so many different ways. The way I did it was I had proofreaders and beta readers um, and people that are interested in my book to read it and go through it and kind of like hear what they had to say, what they felt maybe missing. Um, and this was just like the introduction in chapter one. Like no one has read like the whole entire thing except for my editor. But um, just, you know, their initial thoughts. Am I conveying what I'm trying to say clearly? Um, or is it like too much, too fast kind of thing? And from there, um, I just gathered all that information, um, which was a lot because, you know, it could be two pages uh, of just people's notes and edits and commentary. 
per person. So you could have like, I would probably recommend having like three, but I had like 10 and, or 15. Um, just to make sure that, you know, from different fields and different age ranges and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it, it ended up from there. I redrafted everything, made it more stream, uh, streamlined. And from there, uh, went on forward on like, okay, what are the next steps? And that's kind of how I create those calendars that I have in my book launch group, mm -hmm. yeah. um, which I haven't updated it for September yet. Uh, but I right. will. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking for uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of how I do that. And um, very briefly, of course, it's more detailed, but very briefly, that's pretty much how I do it. And then um, just kind of seeing what do I need? Who do I need um, to get this out and finished? And, um, you know, realistically knowing myself, you know, can I get something done within a week or not? can I get this done within a day or not? And if I'm procrastinating, do I need to, before I even, and that's other things that I will say, um, before I even started writing the book, I knew there were certain skills that I would need. Um, and so I first sharpened those skills, like procrastination had to kill it. Um, certain things that I had to like be real with myself and um, make sure that I was very self-disciplined in getting things uh when i say i'm gonna do it to do it kind of thing and um that happened in so many other smaller projects that i did before i decided to write the book and be public about writing the book you know so wow yeah. i hope that helps <laughs> oh definitely i even love that you added like some of the difficult challenges that you had like the procrastination aspect and just like making sure that you're consistent because i i definitely feel and maybe there's some people in the audience for my particular audience right now that are thinking to themselves like, wow, this is like really helpful stuff to kind of formulate how I might want to create my own handbook um, yeah. or official book. So I think that's, that's great. Um, one thing I kind of want to go back to um, like healthy support systems, right? Yeah. Actually, wow, there's a lot of different things that, <laughs> that, uh, I can kind of connect with. Actually, I'll ask you this first. Um, so I, I, I know you mentioned a lot of times like the editing process, having to uh, do a lot of research, yeah. watching over 300 videos, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a big proponent of healthy coping strategies, right? And being able to self-care when you need it. Um, yeah. What did self-care look like for you while you were in this book launch process, yeah. <laughs> taking care of yourself the best way you know how? Yes. Um, so something that I guess a lot of people don't know is like for three, three years after I got out of foster care, so like 2016 was the time that I got out of foster care. And like 2017 um, is when I noticed like a lot of increase of like anxiety, depression and stuff like that. And um, I didn't really know how to deal with that. You know, a lot of people around me um, said that they dealt with it with like medication, um, lots of medication, actually. Um, and sometimes they would go to therapy, but um, they didn't really feel like it helped long term. So. I felt like, you know, am I gonna deal with this for the rest of my life? Like not being able to get out of bed, um, 
you know, feeling like my chest was constricting, like I could barely Mm. breathe. Um, Or even, um, you know, as I sat on certain uh, boards or national places and dealing with my own, you know, stuff, I sometimes would just kind of not be able to talk. Um, Even like if someone asked me a question, um, you know, in a national seat, I couldn't talk. Like I would try to talk, but I could like, it just wouldn't come out. And instead it would just be like crying. Um, Mm. And I would try to explain, like, I just don't feel right or whatever it was. And, you know, that was a lot of anxiety. Um, And so what I have found, um, which has also been helpful as far as self-care, is actually challenging myself. Um, So that's interesting. It's counterintuitive because, you know, Mm. a lot of times, or I guess it seems to be counterintuitive. Uh, challenge yourself but you're going through that but um no it actually has been very helpful like I would say um I labeled myself a lot as like an introvert um or even an omnivert like someone that was more introverted but sometimes I'd be extroverted Mm -hmm. and what I came to find out um as I challenged that idea about myself was I'm actually not introverted I actually love people (laughs) and I actually love like, you know, being extroverted. But what had happened was so many years of trauma, so many years of, you know, negative talking to me um, and, you know, people having such low expectations of me because of my past. And maybe it wasn't, um, you know, intentional or anything like that, but um, just seeing that that's kind of what the narrative was, I began to believe that narrative as well. And as I started to stretch, right, and do all these different national things, it was difficult because I was still, one, in the same perpetual levels of trauma, mm-hmm. um, unknowingly to myself, self-sabotaging. Um, I was listening to my negative inner voice that was programmed into my subconscious mind since I was younger, um, which was not helpful at all. And um, that continuously would show up. So that contributed to, you know, the procrastination or the panic attacks, the, you know, all these different other things, depression. Um, So I really had to be honest with myself and then challenge the narratives that I gave myself or I accepted for myself. And I think another piece of that was no longer seeing myself as like a foster youth. And that's something that I talk Mm -hmm. about in the book as well, because um, I think there's a transition you have to go through as a young person when you go through trauma, when you go through foster care, is to see yourself past um, the trauma that you've been through and the pain that you've been through and being able to see and imagine and dream bigger that a life outside of trauma even exists. So for me, self-care has been challenging the stigmas that I put on myself. Um, You know, a lot of times we definitely challenge the ones that society has and everything, but we first have to believe them for them to affect us. So um, just kind of like challenging that. And then, you know, other ways that I choose to uh, practice self-care is, um, educating myself in history uh my husband and I were actually making some jokes the other day because he was just kind of like 
you know, the way you relax is watching like three hour documentaries. Who relaxes like that? And I was just like, you know, <laughs> I'm like, you know, this is just how I've been, you know, literally my whole life. Um, when I was a kid, I would look through encyclopedias and like have microscopes. And that was my way of relaxing. And, you know, I said, I thought I was going to be a mad scientist. So um, I just, I don't know. I, I'm always challenging myself and um, educating myself as to the history helps me because it helps me cope with the now because history repeats itself if you're not aware of what has happened. Um, and then you, it makes, and it creates a clear picture of how to move forward because you already know what hasn't worked you see the holes of you know what hasn't worked so you're able to see okay well since that didn't work what can I do now what does it really look like in the future and strategize um, so continuously learning um, and surrounding myself with people that are loving that are healing um, that are um, aware of just life and um how to be better people and they challenge me to be a better person so holding me accountable for you know if i if i'm doing something that isn't great they're telling me hey like let's talk about this in a loving way you know so mm -hmm. those are some ways i know those those aren't conventional it's not the bubble bath and all the other stuff but <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no actually you know what that's actually what kind of stood out to me was um I was going to say your your self-care uh, methods are pretty unorthodox. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, in contrast, mine's is more like writing, listening to music, talking to a friend, right? Yeah. Um, very traditional kind of stuff, right? <laughs> but I, 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 I felt, I found it very uh, just interesting hearing much different ways of like coping with stressful situations. And I like that you um, you don't just go to a default one, not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but I do believe a well-developed coping, um, coping skill is like being able to have mo multiple ones that you can go to um, that help you out when you are feeling stressed out or depressed or that anxiety is happening. Um, and it also helps to, it's just a robust way of kind of, helping yourself, right, when you, when you feel that. But uh, yeah, that's, that's great. I like that, um, I also just like the fact that it was ever evolving and there wasn't just one specific one, but then also you talked a little bit about the healing process, right? And I do like that. I do strongly have a theory too that you need to have that, that transition where you're healing from your trauma um, and yeah. not saying that every it's going to be a, a you're magically cured from all the trauma that you've went through and oh, no. scary <laughs> or that but i do, i do think having self actualization and realizing this is where i was a, a couple years ago and this is where i am now and i'm okay with who i am as a person and i can move forward in that so i think yeah. that's beautiful Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, for me, something that I learned as well that I want to share is um, I think a lot of times we focus on like the symptoms of something. Um, and for me, what I wanted to do was 
find the cure and uh, not just treat the symptoms, not just like, okay, I'm depressed today. You know, why am I depressed? Mm -hmm. Why am I depressed? You know, and I really had to be honest with myself. Why am I depressed today? Because, okay, that happened to me 10, 15 years ago. Why am I depressed today about it? Like, why is this affecting me today? And um, really understanding the core of that and then uh, learning and challenging myself to heal that. Like, what are the steps to heal that? And, you know, I'm still not fully healed um, from all the different levels of trauma, but it's the act of continuously making progress and not perfection. Not like, like you said, magically going to heal overnight. But, you know, taking steps every day to uh, challenge yourself to be a better person and not accept the status quo that, you know, I'm going to be depressed for the rest of my life. I was like, oh, hell no, I'm not going to be depressed for the rest of my life. (laughs) So, um, you know, I don't struggle with that type of stuff anymore. Like, uh, and I'm not going to say it it won't come back, but, you know, Mm -hmm. for the moments being um, and from situations that I've been through, I've been actively working on that. And i learn different tools to help me continue to make progress in my healing. And I think that's really important. I love it. Simple and plain, plain and simple, right? Like, yeah. Like actively making choices in your life to uh, improve. And then knowing that it's something that's reoccurring. Uh, I know for me, uh, I suffered through moderate depression, right? So I do need um, like, Sometimes I have counseling, other times it will be uh, just doing like three coping strategies per day to make sure that I'm okay, right? Um, And embracing when I do have a bad day, right? And uh, it's okay to not be okay, Um, kind of what I tell myself. So I I appreciate your vulnerability. I appreciate your transparency right now. Um, And yeah, I kind of wanted to, uh, one thing that kind of came to mind too was while writing uh, your handbook, was there any particular time in which maybe you felt a little triggered um, or like, wow, this is a little too much for me. Like I need to <laughs> relax a little or. Yeah, honestly, the whole time. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay, I think honest. as soon as I started, um, I was triggered, honestly, like literally as soon as I started, as soon as I started chapter one, I got triggered. And I was like, wow, so this is going to be a long book Um, (laughs) because um, it was just, you know, the truth. And um, the the, another reason why I decided to go the self-publishing route was because I wanted the integrity of my work to be honored. You know, I don't want to sugarcoat anything. I don't want to uh, make something seem better than what it was. Um, mm. And so it's just, it, it is what it is, you know? And uh, that's kind of, that kind of was really difficult because um, that's also how I speak to myself. I'm very honest, I'm very raw. Like, you know, if I don't feel great, I'm going to tell myself, you know, you don't feel great today. Don't try to fake it. Let's just, mm-hmm. you know, get right. And um, that's kind of also what I invite, you know, the readers to do is be honest with yourself and might get a little triggered, you know, might get a lot triggered, but yeah. let's work through that. You know, let's work through that. Let's heal that. Um, let's not keep holding that in and 
expressing it in very toxic or negative ways and let's become aware of that if anything you know mm. and um that's that's what i'll say is definitely got triggered the entire time um even you know up to the last chapter um there's 12 chapters in the book and then the last chapter um i was just kind of like yeah this is uh this is a lot um not quite sure um how I want to really talk about this because you know I talk about my birth family as well mm -hmm. and I think it's difficult to navigate that as well as a young person um, in foster care because your if you are in foster care more than likely you know your birth family relationship is complicated and um, yes. you could love them so much and yet you know have some other feelings as well um, and it's just like trying to navigate that and you know how do i express that and you know i just always go back to well you started off being real you can't and you can't end being fake so you know just gotta just gotta be honest with myself and be honest with my readers and um because i know that that's something especially also people of color are experiencing <clears throat> and just kind of you know the decolonization of mm. being a person of color and going through racism especially now um you know especially now and i say especially now not because there hasn't been horrific moments it's just kind of like it's 2020 and we're still going through this you know <laughs> obviously we're not doing something right so we, right. we need to get we need to get with the program um, and in fact, we need to get to the program so that way we can uh, create our own programs and create our own tables and start getting some actual solutions getting applied as opposed to uh, 20, 30 year conversations. Really tired of those. So, yes. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely believe that instead, like we definitely need to, uh, it's a systematic oppression and we need to mm -hmm. get at the system, but we also need to have ownership Mm -hmm. of our own you know and uh yeah i definitely feel like that's something that's been lacking uh historically not i, I was gonna say for a long time but this is you know for uh, yeah centuries yeah yeah pretty much yeah no i i love that um and i i think what you um uh, what you were mentioning before about like having the healthy support system I kind of want to get into that a little bit and also segue into the better readers a little bit. Um, yeah. But I was going to ask, so for me, right, I, I strongly believe that, and th this was in the first episode that I ever made, but it was, uh, I strongly believe that having a healthy support system is the single most important thing that every current and former foster needs, right? Um, and I, I strongly believe that's the that's the the breaking point, right? That's what's going to help you to succeed and, and thrive. Um, and I love what you said about being able to have other people, like what you mentioned earlier, having other people in your corner, people that these are my own words, but cheerleading for you, right? And like really being um, there for you when you're at your lowest. Um, was there was there any people in particular uh, that kind of helped and assisted you with that? Uh, I know 
I think her name was Lisa. Lisa. Um, Lisa Wild. Eliza. Eliza. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I was getting the name wrong. Um, I know she. She. Uh, she seemed like she was. Not that I know her personally, but she seemed like she was uh, a really strong supporter of yours. I just kind of wanted to like flesh that out a little bit. Yeah. Um, actually, I think I dedicate a whole like. I think there's a, there's at least two or three chapters pertaining to this in my book, but uh, wow. yes, okay. yes. Um, the relationships that you have determine your your network and everything. They that determines your net worth. That determines, um, I think, your mental health. Mm. Um, it determines a lot. It determines your, your level to succeed. Um, and I speak this from experience. Um, I've definitely been in spaces where, you know, I didn't have anyone. I didn't have not a single person <laughs> that was on my side, uh, rooting for me. Um, no, like it, it definitely has been a whole, what 180 360 is back to where you were so we're gonna yeah. say 180 <laughs> um but yes yeah, so i think um pertaining to this book um honestly and this book and also other projects and just in life what i've learned is that a lot of times people um when you come from a very uh if you come from uh, extreme poverty if you come from a house that has like you know abuse and a lot of i will say negative qualities um inadvertently and i think unintentionally a lot of times you can uh send your, surround yourself with people that aren't um the best for your well-being um your mindset your spirit you know nothing um your level to succeed is just not going to be as plausible as if you become aware of your surroundings and who you're surrounding yourself with um and that's difficult and as i mentioned before when it comes to family because mm -hmm. i think like a lot of times we want our blood family to be there for us particularly our parents um you know we want our family to be the main ones rooting for us we want to you know it's just it's just in us. That's what we want. And um, what I've learned is that I had to let go of that idea. And mm -hmm. um, that was actually really hard for me um, because I just I wanted my siblings to be um, on par with me. I wanted my siblings as I you know was with them. And it's just they're just not in a place um, to one. Uh, uplift another person in any way um and you know not even themselves so i think it can be challenging it can be very challenging mentally and in all areas but for me what i learned is that i had to just start network networking with strangers and getting to know strangers um because uh that and that's a whole word that's a <laughs> That's a whole word, but I felt that you know. on a spiritual level. Just <laughs> go ahead, speak the truth. Go ahead. I'm not even going to stop. Like, <laughs> I just feel like you know, what I've learned is that there's so many people in this world. There's 
billions of people in this world and yeah you know you can't automatically because of your past and you know what has happened in in certain relationships negatively kind of wipe out the the fact that there's billions of people in this world that don't know you and don't know what you do and want to support you and want to bless you and want you to succeed even though they don't know you right now so you know you have to open your mind more and see that there's a whole world out there like it sucks that it doesn't come from your family it sucks that it doesn't come from your best friend that you've known since kindergarten <laughs> you know and um at the end of the day what are you going to do about it you can't change them but you can change um you know your future and your circumstances and your circle you know um some of the most successful people say that you know you're you are the sum of the five most close people that you have around you and so uh, <laughs> something like that uh, and so we just really have to be like very um aware of who we have around us you know are they really um good for our mental spiritual you know physical well-being mm. are we really good to other people's mental physical spiritual well-being how are we in our relationships are we showing love in a healthy way you know are they showing love to us in a healthy way do we feel nourished do we feel that they're really feeding our flames you know or not and if they're not and if you're not if you're not then you need to go back and do some work if they're not you may need to have some space and that doesn't mean you know cutting everybody off and labeling everybody toxic that's not what i'm saying but i am saying that you do need to have you know said right now we're in the whole six feet thing you might need to put you know 30 feet 100 feet mm. you know a thousand miles away <laughs> from you and that person at least until they're at a level where they can support and you know really love on you on a uh on a very um authentic level not just kind of like face value like oh that's cool like i'll share you know i'll share this but at the same time mm -hmm. i'm still like jealous and other things and you could tell like you could mm -hmm. feel it that jealousy so, people. Oh, yes, it does. And it's just like, you know, I understand it because, you know, it's a self-esteem issue. Like if you don't, if you're not happy with where you are in your life, then you're not, you're not able to be, you don't have the room to be happy for someone else because you're not happy for yourself. And it all comes back to yourself, the relationship you have with yourself and self-love and all that good stuff. But, um, you have to be honest with yourself, you know, and, um, Pertaining to my Aunt Liza, yes, um, I call her Aunt Liza. She actually was my casa in, uh, or garnet litem. I don't know what they call them at your state. But um, yes, she was a court-appointed special advocate for me um, in foster care. She actually ended up being kicked out of my case because uh, she didn't agree with my social worker to let me, like, sleep over um, at the um airport um in between foster care placements so yeah so she actually got removed from my case because she let me stay at her place instead of sleeping at an airport but it doesn't matter she's still in my life you know she's been a huge help <laughs> and uh that's also something you know i hope that in the future years that you know we're able to look at social workers
um, just a curriculum around like what it means to be a social worker, what it means to be a therapist, especially for young mm-hmm. people in foster care. Because I think, you know, definitely. when we talk about the social capital, what would you say? No, definitely. I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah. When we talk about the social capital and like the community that young people in foster care need, we need all these different supports. But if there's a stipulation of like, as a CASA, you know, you can't do certain things or else you're going to get kicked off. You know, that becomes like on a human level, on a human level, this person needs this, but on an ethics level through, you know, professionalism, quote unquote, um, what does that really look like? And so that, I think that becomes like a conflict because you, as a professional, you know, if you're a cost or a social worker, you're like, okay, I know that there's certain guidelines I have to go by, but then there's also like that moral and humanistic aspect of like, well, this seems like the best you know, thing to do right now. And of course, it's going to be a case by case basis. But I do believe that there should be a more opening um, for that and more, uh, more, more of a step back and like, okay, what is really working? What isn't working? Because if, if we want to say that that's working, and it's three to 5% of young people successfully, you know, aging out of foster care and finishing uh, secondary education, I don't think that's working. So maybe we need to look back and, and see, you know, what, what kind of systems do we need to change and um, what kind of policies and practices do we need to switch up? I love it. I love it. <laughs> you, for everyone listening, she dropped so many golden gems. I'm just trying to like grab them all. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to listen to this episode like at least five more times. <laughs> um, but like, I just love what you said, uh, rewinding like five minutes back, right? I love what you said about, um, and I kind of felt myself like having to work through my emotions, like while you Mm -hmm. was talking, because I was like, he's just hitting on it. But um, I like, I love what you said about having to move forward mostly without your your biological family, right? Mm. Um, and I think that's definitely something that um, a lot of us kind of struggle with. Um, you know, throughout my life, I've always felt this sort of disconnect where it's yeah. like, it doesn't feel natural to move on without them. Yeah. But I had to also make peace with the fact that unfortunately, they're not at the, they're not in this in the space where they're able to best attend to my needs and what I I would like out of my life. Um, And I'm not even, my expectations aren't even that high in terms of the reciprocity of what I'm I'm expecting, right? Um, I just want to be able to be transparent, uh, talk to them, communicate really well, um, and just have, you know, trust, love, all that good stuff. But unfortunately, that does isn't always the case. And I do think that there are a lot of people that's listening to this right now that need to hear that, right? Of how to move forward when your family, especially, uh, you know, society tells us that uh, family, our biological blood related family is an integral part of who we are, right? And without it, what are you, right? Like you're just alienated, you might be an outcast of sorts. Um, And I think this feeling gets intensified being in the foster care system, right? Because 
there's already that fragmentation of not being with your family. And then when you want to try to reconnect and it doesn't go as planned, those expectations that you might have had to reconnect with them, it shattered. Or worse, you might feel like uh, dejected. And if you don't have those coping strategies or someone backing you up in your corner, you know, you could go downhill really quickly. So I think that was something that needed to be said. And I definitely think there was a lot of unpacking in that. And I just had to address that because I definitely think uh, a lot of young folks and even um, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s still struggle with that. You know, I don't think it's just like, um, I get, I uh, feel this particular way at this age and that's it. You know, this is a lasting impact that can go on for decades or yeah. even a lifetime. So um, really glad that you shine some light on that for sure. Um, yeah, healthy coping, healthy, healthy support system. Definitely a big thing. Yeah. Um, and one thing going back to, uh, I kind of want to talk about the book cover because I feel this was a big thing that yeah. I've seen a lot of feedback on, on your Facebook on, is this a good cover and like a yeah. lot of switching <laughs> and stuff like that. I'm just curious what the process looked like for that now, because I know um, it, it's a different book cover from the, what, was a, what was initially there, right? So yeah. like, what, what was the feedback uh, for the, for the um, book cover and like, how did you make that final decision? So um, the very first one, like it was kind of like tan. Mm. Are you talking about that one? Yeah. Yeah, um, so I've designed all the, anything like the marketing stuff, anything that you've seen, I've designed. And um, I just know that I can have a blind spot to things. Um, And so that's why I'm always, you know, reaching out to people to hear their perspectives and see that, you know, what do they see? Um, And also, I will say my creative eye morphs over time. And I think, you know, the first time I thought it looked really great. Mm -hmm. And um, I already knew it was a placeholder. Um, But over time, I didn't I didn't really like it that much. Um, I thought that it could have, you know, improved. And that also comes back into my whole like, uh, I could always do better kind of thing. that I'm always challenging myself with as well. Like, yeah, but you know, you could do better, but you know, done. Another thing that I I will say is done is always better than, uh, than not done. Like finished is always better than perfection. So, um, it's for me, uh, right now it's still actually in the, in the works. It isn't finalized yet. I'm still going back and forth on whether or not, I want it to be just uh, one gender on there, or if I want to. I think the one that you saw had like all genders on there mm-hmm. and like all um, like types of people and stuff like that. So I'm going back and forth about that, but I think um, what from the feedback that I've been getting, <laughs> especially on that post, was you know mainly the first one, um, not the tan one, but the blue one, the most recent one with the. Um, 
nice young lady on there uh seems to be the one that everyone is really really loving and as far as the background on that it's just kind of like um something to exude confidence um something to exude the end result of reading the book and the end result is successfully aging out of foster care and um working on your healing not just working on it but prioritizing it i think a lot of times like we um make excuses as to why we can't do that and maybe we even use distraction so another reason why i didn't say when you asked about like coping and stuff like that why i didn't say like uh listening to music and a lot of those things is because you know sometimes that's just used to distract us from healing um it's more so used as like okay well you know i'll just do this really quick and it, it goes away but then it comes back right because we haven't healed the core Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of the background of like that picture and the cover. No, I love that. Yeah, I I'm glad that you're even though it's still pending, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> I love that <laughs> the the story behind it too because I definitely was like uh, I was I was getting anxiety like thinking <laughs> okay when is this gonna come into fruition? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, well, definitely. Well, I say this, it definitely, uh, like my date hasn't changed. It's always been September, mm-hmm. um, September 29th. So, um, uh, for me, it's just kind of like getting all my ducks in a row <laughs> for mm-hmm. September 29th. But, um, regardless the way I'm seeing it is, you know, it's, it's going to be out by that day. So, nice. yeah. Okay. And, uh, I think, uh, let me see, I got, probably two more. But uh, one thing I want to ask too, uh, speaking now that we're officially on the last month, uh, this is September 1st. Um, yes. Things are like <laughs> less than 30 days at this point. Yes. Um, so with everything kind of like unraveling and things starting to move forward in this last month, uh, how has like the milestones been going? Uh, achievements, uh, expectations that you had, how, how's that been looking for you? Um, I would say it's been, it's been going really, really great. Um, I'm just, I think foster care (laughs) and even before foster care has really like, uh, helped me in my mindset of like pivoting when things aren't working or like being able to adapt to change, you know, if something is in, um, falling in a certain way or whatever, I'm just like, all right, well, what do I have to do now? Um, and I've just kind of really, uh, been leading with that. Like if this is the plan, right. But life happens, you know, shit happens. And so with that, I can be open with, um, other ways to combat those, uh, things that come up. But as for the most part, the milestones have been amazing at this point. I only have really two other ones, um, before publishing, um, which is like formatting and another one that I can't think of at the moment, but um, two other ones before publishing. So I'm very excited about that. And I will say it's been a long journey since February of this year um, where I really started to just like actually sit down and write it. Um, and now I'm just really, really excited to get it in the hands of young people and their supportive adults to read it and you know 
benefit from all of that work, you know? So that's kind of yeah. where I'm at with that. I'm really, really excited. As you should. <laughs> I'm excited too. And um, I'm also curious too, like with, in terms of like a long lasting impact, yeah. um, what kind of, what kind of impact do you think this is going to have for like years down the road? So um, something that I always wanted to be clear about was that I'm not in any way trying to be like a success story um, or a poster person, you know, that's like, hey, be like whatever um, in a specific way. I think that for the most part, my intention with writing the book as well is to further the work that um, other young people that have been, you know, in politics and um, you know, advocacy, as well as supportive adults that have been really making ways to disrupt foster care and, and um, talk about how we can really start cha making changes to the system um, and other systems um, that are racially <sighs> destructing and um, just demeaning us as, as people and lowering the statistics. Like, we have to continuously... Um, combat that. So I just want this to be a lasting impact to support the work that's already being done and um, also hopefully to, um, you know, share a little bit about my story and how young people can apply that to their everyday life. Like things that I've learned that they don't have to, you know, make the mistakes. I mean, at this point, it would be their choice if they want to make the mistake or not. But um at least being able to um you know read about it and know like okay well maybe i don't have there's other options you know mm -hmm. and um there's other choices there's other ways to live life you don't have to be miserable you don't have to um feel like you're just how to explain this um constricted um suffocated um or suffocating in your trauma and in your pain, like there's definitely other ways and you can heal. Like that is a possibility. You can find happiness. You can um, find joy. You can find healthy love. Um, yeah, just really opening the way for that and supporting the work that's already being done. So in the impact, I do see this um, in many ways, raising statistics for young people and also um, having an increase of young people uh, and all types of people that have experience of foster care or childhood trauma to really start being more, more vocal about their stories, uh, writing more books, you know, that's what I'm looking forward to, more books for, from young people's experience of foster care, um, more podcasts, more everything, like, you know, just out here doing their best, doing their best and living their best life, going on trips, you know, just a life outside of trauma and foster care. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And that's something I can get on board with. Um, yeah. I think oftentimes when we are in really crappy situations that we find ourselves in, uh, it can be really difficult to know what's more out there, right? Yeah. I know for me, like when I was in the foster care system, I didn't really feel like, I actually, there was no uh, foster care alumni, right? right I didn't know right. anyone that was exactly <laughs> or this is how you do it, right? It was just kind of like, 
when you gonna find that shit out by yourself? Like, right. <laughs> um, so I, I definitely think I, I love seeing that we have like podcasts now, that we have books, that yeah, more access to things, right? And that um, there's not a particular way of of there's not a particular lens that you that you see through now. It's more um, these different self empowerment uh, podcasts, books, etc., are helping people to expand their horizons. Yeah. Um, hopefully for the better too, you know, more healthy. Right. Um, I Definitely. know before you mentioned that you don't want to be looked at as a success story, right? Yeah. Um, or a poster child, right? Uh, yep. <laughs> what, do you feel like, uh, let's talk about the, the poster child thing, right? Do you feel right. like that's a, um, at, at this point in foster care, do you feel like it's, it's a negative, like, look at this person, look at, um, you know, this particular performance or this parameter that we have for this person, they have their own place, they graduated college, like this is what you should aspire for, or do you think it's actually harmful for uh, forced youth to aspire to those kind of heights? Yeah, and um, I think that it can be a double-edged sword, and I think mm -hmm. depending on the way that it is portrayed, um, as well as, you know, what's, what's really the background work of that? And, okay, this young person is, like I, like I shared um, previously, you know, I'm on this national, national board or I'm sitting on this national committee, but I'm dealing with like anxiety, severe anxiety, you know, mm -hmm. depression and stuff, and I can't even talk when I, someone asks me a question, you know? So, in, in one way, you know, I'm becoming a poster child, right? But in another way, like, I also don't like this feeling because I'm not feeling the greatest because at the same time that that's happening, I'm not having enough support around mm -hmm. um, in my personal life to support me to holistically feel safe and secure and all the other amazing things to, um, you know, be in congruence with, the great achievements that I have. And I think like specifically young people in foster care is something that I've learned as a common thread is that sometimes, you know, we could have all these amazing achievements, but we're only having these achievements, not necessarily um, for the right reasons. Um, and let me say that um, sometimes it can be like a self-esteem thing, like, um, and it ends up being conflicting because, you know, you're, going so high up into the ladder of like how you want to give back and how you want to do all these things, but you're pouring from an empty cup. And so you can't, you know, be your fullest potential and you're not in, you might be a little bit, you know, on the ego side operating from ego because you haven't healed a lot of the things that you need to heal. And I'm not saying everyone needs to like, you know, heal everything before you do anything. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, going back to that awareness and um, being more proactive about um, maintaining and cultivating healthy support systems in your personal life. Because I know people that, you know, in their professional life, they'll say, you know, all these different things and um, have their life to be painted a certain way but really in closed doors, they're still, you know, very much struggling with like whether or not they want to take their life and other things. And no one has any idea, right? Because we're not being 
um, authentic in that. And then there's also that line of like, how authentic can you be on social media? How authentic can you be with your personal support? So that goes, you know, into our foundational self, you know, how, how do we see ourselves personally, not just professionally, but who are we personally, you know, what are our core values? What is our core character? What do we really believe in? Do we believe in healthy relationships? Do we believe in loyalty and trust and all these other beautiful things? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that in, in one respect, um, it can be very helpful to see like a, uh, a person that is doing really well with the background of foster care. But I think also um, it can't just be that image. It has to be um, on both ends, on the person that is being that you know success story whatever it is Mm -hmm. um understanding that they have to do you know their own personal work within themselves so they can continue to shed a light and give back and then on the person that is seeing all of that um you know just recognizing that there's more to it that you know they're not lucky they're not um they don't have all these other different things it's it's a lot of background work and they have to do the background work as well it's not just gonna fall in their lap you know because they wish for it or whatever it is it's i think it's a it's a very thin line between the two i like that yeah no definitely i think um kind of the same thing like it it definitely is a double-edged sword in terms of it can help it could potentially help people to know what to expect, but then also yeah. I believe that other, for the most part, we all should blaze our own path in life. Yeah. That there is no set way that success should look like. Exactly. Yeah. You got to define it for yourself. And the only way you're able to do that is if you start to do the work and know yourself and know your story and be real with your story. Like, okay, my story is not, you know, that story so that's great that they have done that and like i can see that it's possible but also looking at my story and you know well how do i define it maybe it's not that i don't know someone's a motivational speaker maybe that's not what i want to do at all and maybe that just sounds great and maybe that appeals to my ego Mm -hmm. but like to on a soul level you know on a cellular level and when we talk about divine purpose and passions um, you know, maybe I don't want to talk in front of other people. Maybe I don't really like to talk. Maybe I like to sing. And so, uh, just recognizing that and yeah, being you. Yeah. I, I, that's an interesting, um, point too, because I, I do think, um, when we talk about like blazing our own path, it has yes. to be something that's tailor made to us. And, um, I definitely think that for the longest time, I, I was doing things that um, that didn't align with my purpose or my mission in life, right? Um, I would try to get my hand in coding or doing construction, right? And thinking that these were things that were high in demand, right? Uh, but the more I thought about it, the more I felt like this doesn't even uh, mesh well with my spirit. I, I feel like I should be doing something else that really um just puts the fire in me something that really every time i wake up i'm just like yes this is what i want to do um and i feel like podcasting uh and talking about my story is kind of my life calling um 
but also it's it's also nice to make some money from this too um yeah <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit about um monetizing your passion right and what that looks like because um you know from one content creator to another you have the book going on you have your also your own podcast soulful liberation I guess I yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um so yeah there's like there's different ways of um of getting into it do you feel like this was always what you wanted to do and um you know, being able to, to blaze this path specifically in foster care? Or was there something else when you were younger that kind of like gravitated you towards something? Wow, that's, um, you know, honestly, that's a whole other uh, conversation, but uh, I will make it as short as possible, okay? Sure. Um, so when I was younger, I actually wanted to be a mad scientist. Um, so that's nothing compared to what I <laughs> but I wanted to be a mad scientist. Um, I felt like it was super dope to like just, I thought I was going to uh, find the cure to cancer, which ironically in a way, I guess, holistic healing and herbs and other things. That's another conversation. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I thought that I was going to, you know, do certain things because I found out my grandmother um, had breast cancer. So I was very, uh, I was, I was just struggling because I thought, you know, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And I began to struggle after um, I went to a doctor's appointment and then, you know, all adult adults ask kids that all the time, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so the doctor also asked me that, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And um, I remember he was like hitting my, uh, your knee or your shin, whatever that happens oh, yeah. and you got to kick or whatever. He was doing that. And he asked me the question and I, I was like so excited that he asked me the question. Um, and um, so I told him and I was like, I want to be a mad scientist. And um, he was just, you know, like, that's, that's not a real, that's not a real profession. Um, so, uh, you know, I think I was like six or seven and I remember just like being so hurt. Um, I had, um, you know, always studied encyclopedias. Um, I always had a microscope. I was always just, I don't know. I, I was, I was a very interesting child. Um, and so and this is before foster care. So, you know, I was just really out here thinking I was going to be a mad scientist. And then after he said that, I was just like, dang, like, it's really not a real profession, you know, started asking around. No, it's really not a real profession. I'm like, are you serious? So um, some years went by and I ended up uh, watching CSI. I'm not sure if you are familiar with CSI. Yeah. yeah. And um, I thought to myself, you know, that's the closest thing to a mad scientist, like forensic psychology, because like you get to do all the things and maybe you get to blow up stuff in your lab. I don't know, but I'll do it anyways. Like it's close enough. Um, and so for the longest, that's what I thought I was going to do until I went to college. So from like eight all the way up until college, I was like, I'm going to be a forensic psychologist. Um, and I actually changed my mind multiple times, uh, because I was being more, um, I did more research and I learned that it's a very morbid job and I actually don't like death. I don't like being around dead people. And um, 
I don't want to be, you know, late nights in the lab away from, and I knew I wanted to have a family and like kids. So I was like, I don't want to be in the lab, uh, late at night, like by myself. Um, I really don't want to do that. So I had to be honest with myself and I saw the salary and I was like, eh. <laughs> it seems, you know, so, um, I started looking at other things and I also didn't feel like attached to it. It just kind of felt like it was something that I always said I was going to do type of thing, but I didn't feel really mm -hmm. like attached to it or called to it. So for a long time, I thought social work, not a long time, about a year. I thought social work. Cause I was like, I already do this. Like, you know, within a foster care and yeah, it feels um, like such a I did this. Yeah, but <laughs> no, um, actually I was like, you know what it is. And I think, um, so I went to an HBCU initially, um, and that was NCCU in North Carolina. And I had a professor, her name was Miss Stanberry and she was a United States government, um, class professor or whatever and she really got me into politics honestly and just like showing the history of like you know black people and voting and things like that and <clears throat> that kind of you know a lot it's it swayed me to political science which is what um my my degree is now and so um i wouldn't say that i've always knew that um specifically that would be my calling but also simultaneously when i was in uh when i was seven eight years old i first learned about you know uh black history mm -hmm. and so i think that also that seed and, and indigenous history and things like that that seed and moving across the country i've moved over um 20 times before i even got to high school so even before foster care so um to so many different states and meeting so many different people that i learned like holy crap like i really need to uh figure out how i can give back into the communities and i think that seed just kind of has grown into coupled with the confidence to actually do something you know because i think mm -hmm. that's another part that's difficult like especially if you want to talk about black and brown issues it's you have to have a certain level of confidence because um, you will be a target. That's something that I've learned. It, it just comes with the territory, um, unfortunately, historically and today. So yeah, I will say that it's been a lot of people um, that ha I've had conversations with, a lot of my own digging in history and um, until I kind of aligned into, all right, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is what I feel the most. Um, and I just had to follow that, like that feeling of being pulled or being called to doing something, actually answering the call. I think that's the hard time. Like you, you could get, you know, the call several times and decline. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, you know, hopefully for most people, but uh, you answer, eventually you got to answer the call. And when you do, I think, things just become a lot smoother, a lot easier because you're just doing what you were divinely called to do versus trying to go against the grain and do something that maybe your ego feels good about, maybe mm -hmm. other people praise you about, um, and yet you don't feel fulfilled. You know, maybe it sounds good, the title sounds good, but I mean, you know, you have to do what you were here, uh, what you are called here to do. Important distinction, but very 
very important difference between the two. So yes, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> um, now nah, I appreciate you. I appreciate all of your knowledge, your expertise, um, your experience. You know, um, at this point, like, what? Um, I guess just final final thoughts in this. What's uh, what's one thing that you would tell? a youth right now in the false care system, uh, trying to navigate it, trying to, uh, they're a little anxious about aging out of the, aging out of the system um, and just probably doesn't have all the supports in place. What, what would you uh, encourage them on? Um, so there's, of course there's a lot of things that I have to say about that, but that's okay. Cause that's why it's in a book. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, um, what I would love to say right now is, you know, um, one, you're not alone. Um, for a long time, I thought I was alone. I thought that, you know, no one could really understand my story and that like, it wasn't possible to succeed um, in whatever level of success that you define for yourself. Um, but it's definitely possible. Um, I would encourage you to continue to hold on um, and uh, take one step forward every day, even if it's, you know, something that you think is small, um, you know, continue to see that uh, you can be here tomorrow, you can be here past a certain age, you know, for a long time, I didn't think I was going to live past 18 years old. And after I turned 17, and it was closer to 18, I started self sabotaging the hell out of my life, because I was like, holy crap, I'm actually about to make it to 18. Um, and it took me a while to recognize that I could dream way bigger than what I ever thought because, you know, when I was younger, I had, I, I dreamt pretty big, but then, you know, trauma after trauma after trauma, it, I think it just kind of weighs on you. You just kind of like, what is the point? You know, um, it's not going to happen anyway. And like, what I will encourage you to, to do is dream bigger than what you ever thought was possible because it is possible as long as you're willing to show up for yourself. And maybe you feel like, you know, that's a lot to do in itself, but, um, you know, look to the people that have done it already. Um, learn from them, read their stories. Um, there's so many people that love you, that care about you, that are doing the work to make sure that, you know, you are able to succeed in every area of your life. So know that there are resources out here. There are people out here that care and um you got this at the end of the day it is your choice to continue to move forward in life and um be empowered in that be empowered that you have it within you to be anything and everything that you choose to be so yeah that's excellent <laughs> i don't even have anything else for that one that was I'm just gonna leave that on a on a good note but um is there any um Let's see, for the so any social media that you feel comfortable with, uh, having people kind of DM you or inquire about some of your work, websites, any special projects that you have going on, um, and any future collaborations that you have with other people. Yeah, so I'm always open for collaborations. I feel like, you know, uh, how better to continue in your work than to also uplift the work of other people. Um, I think that it never takes away from what you're doing to uplift another person. So I'm always open for collaborations. Um, 
My website is <clears throat> www.originalsoulflower, soul as in your soul, spirit, um, and then flower.com and uh, Instagram at originalsoulflower. Um, future collaborations, tons to come. Um, nice. And really, really looking forward to um, just connecting with all of you and also Tony. Thank you so much for having me. And I just really, really appreciate like just who you are and everything that you're doing. So thank, thank you, you so much. And thank you. Uh, appreciate it for everyone that's tuned in. Uh, definitely hope you guys got a lot of hidden gems from this. Uh, a lot of golden nuggets. I think this was a phenomenal episode. Um, and I really hope that you guys found a lot of value in this. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much the conclusion. If you if you guys want to um, email or go to um, Angela's website, I'm going to leave the link in the description down below for anyone who's interested. Uh, definitely give her a shout out. Uh, ask her any questions or inquiries that you might have. Maybe even some future collaborations. Who knows? So um, <laughs> without further ado, uh, keep hope alive. This is Tony Phyllis. Until next time. Peace, y'all. All right, let me.